Chapter 29 The morning after Jack's surgery was full of business. By noon, a long line of wagons waited along the pier filled with everything from salted pork to cannonball. Taking on supplies for an Atlantic crossing was a more serious undertaking than their usual method of garnering sparse supplies from port to port. While in the middle of the ocean, there would be no quick stop into Nassau for flour, meat, or grog. And once they'd arrived in Europe, no merchant was likely to be impressed by an order from the Continental Congress. So Topper ensured that each hold in every nook and corner on the ship was stuffed with staple rations, spare rigging, raw timber, hopeless chickens, baking supplies, gunpowder, and anything else he suspected they might have want of. Armand took charge of hiring new crew and set up a small desk on the pier next to the gangplank where he interviewed all comers and judged whether or not they were in possession of the proper metal. Most were not. Finn instructed him to make certain that any man hired was well advised of the dangerous nature of their work, and Armand saw to it that what men they took on were the sort likely to be a benefit under fire. None were told about the mission, of course. That would have to wait until they were underway. But the reputation of the rattlesnake was well known, and no sailor was surprised to hear they expected to see battle. Finn made good on her threat that Lucas Thiggum would not leave Jack's bedside until he was healed. She placed Nut in charge of making sure that the doctor heeded her order, and the two made quite a pair. They sat nervously on opposite sides of the surgery and stared at one another, each wondering whether the other might suddenly pounce. Oh, dear, Finn said when she entered the room and discovered their peculiar association. The doctor's eyes flashed. He knew she was mocking him. Finn walked to the bed and checked on Jack. His fever hadn't broken, but he seemed less fitful. The dressings on his leg were clean and no bleeding was apparent. Thigum seemed to be tending him well. As she left, she reminded Nut to notify her immediately if Jack woke or if the doctor tried to leave. He nodded without taking his eyes off Thigum. By dinner, the ship had been loaded, the holds were packed to the last inch, and the filling out of the crew was nearly complete. Armand and Finn stood on the wharf as the last of the wagons rolled away empty. The rattlesnake groaned and sat low in the water, heavy in her belly. As the sun set, lamplighters roamed the streets, goading street lamps to life, and the crew traipsed across the plank by twos and threes to seek entertainment ashore. The old crew waved at Finn as they passed, but the new hands stiffened and snapped their hands up in salute. We have sixty good men, Sherry, said Armand. Few of them green, and none of them soft. With luck we shall have another ten, perhaps twenty tomorrow, and sail with a full company. A new hand, no more than a boy, younger even than Finn, jogged off the ship and halted meekly before her to salute before running to catch up with his shipmates. And what opinion do they have of the ship's captain? asked Finn. They ask, does the captain dye her hair with English blood? One said to me, the captain rides a cannon into battle and commands the creatures of the deep against the British. Armand threw his head back in laughter. It was the first time Finn had seen him do so in genuine humor. Ha <laughs> ha! And another! Her ship will never founder because her hair is aflame that chases water back to the sea. Armand slapped her on the back as she rolled her eyes. Tales are the bastard children of bored sailors and ale, Sherry. Will they listen to me, Armand? The sailors she'd commanded until now, 
those that gave her the position of captain by election, did so because they knew her and had shared her experience, but these new men didn't know her. How would they respond when a wiry redhead from a Georgia backwater ordered them to fight for their lives? You are bigger than yourself, Shari. They do not see you. They see their own hopes, their own fears. What men fear, they respect. What they hope for, they heed. You must be scarce on deck. You must be distant to them. Finn remembered her encounters with Tiberius Creech. She only saw him by glimpses as he came or went. Her imagination crafted him, and he fed the image with his absence. He was never mad, as some claimed. In fact, he'd been chillingly sane, but he'd never disputed the rumor of his dementia. It worked to his favor. Finn would have to do the same. She would have to let the tales men told be thought true. Let them see her little, if at all, and let her word be carried out by those close to her. She needed Jack. Turn a man's mind to your will and he is yours. You are his master. He your slave. Your tales will serve you well, Shari, and they will make you immortal. But you must believe them. If you do not, then who else can? You must know yourself to be the monster they see, and then you will be powerful. Armand was standing too close to her. His chest brushed against her shoulders, and his head was bent to a subtle angle so that his words fell gently into her ear, almost a whisper. A quiver ran up her neck, but he was right. She could use the situation to her advantage, use it to get back home, just like Armand had used the dogs of the justice's bilge. He controlled them utterly, and they groveled before him and did his will with slavish obedience. She was sickened by the thought, but inspired by the possibility. Thank you, Armand. He dismissed himself, and she retreated to her quarters deep in thought. The following morning, as Armand continued his inquisition of prospective crewmen, Topper huddled over a navigational chart in the captain's quarters. He was trying to convince Finn that they were not about to get themselves lost at sea. Finn had certainly never attempted a crossing of the Atlantic before, and while Topper had sailed his fair share, he'd never had any use for learning how to navigate one. Well, have you asked Armand? said Finn. How hard can it be? East by northeast. We sail right between the Azores and Madeira, through Gibraltar, along the coast to Tripoli, and then we're good as gold, home by Christmas. Finn had an inkling it might be more complicated. And what if we're off course? I'd rather not put in at the North Pole for directions. I'll ask Armand. Bah, we'll be fine. Don't need no help from a Frenchman to find my way to Europe. Topper turned the map to a new angle to study it. Finn shook her head and glared at him as the door creeped open and Armand stuck his head in. Armand, speak of the devil, Finn said. And the Frenchman appears, grumbled Topper. We could use your advice, said Finn. Armand's face was troubled as he stepped into the room and shut the door behind him. There is something we must discuss, Shari. Finn ignored him. Despite Topper's obvious knack for nautical charts, his skill at navigation doesn't inspire me with anything but reasonable doubt. You have any experience that could help? Who better to lead us to Europe than a European? Armand frowned. I am not from Europe. I am from New Orleans. 
Topper grunted. Wonderful. But I can't help you. I have plotted many crossings. He stepped to the table where Topper was studying the map. Armand shook his head, picked up the map, and turned it right side up. I knew that, said Topper. Armand didn't answer him. Cherie, there is a matter you must know of. Topper sat down and leaned back in his chair as Finn turned her attention from the map to Armand. Our company is filled, yet there is a man here for work. He is old, as I am, and I do not trust his manner. I would not offer him birth or wage, but the decision is yours. Armand returned to the door. Well, if we're full and he's worthless, then I don't see. Armand opened the door and a man shuffled in. He wore a dirty, patched cap and his entire dress was unkempt and unclean. The stench of rum and human filth entered the room with him. His beard was a tangled mess of red and gray, framing a mouth turned up in an empty smile. Finn saw instantly why Armand did not trust him. He had the eyes of a beggar, a man who will tell any lie to earn his next meal. She wrinkled her nose in disgust. And yet, he was oddly familiar. Finn felt like she knew him but couldn't remember from where or when. She tried to imagine him younger and beardless. She was certain she'd seen him before. He meekly pulled off his hat, revealing a lousy mess of matted gray hair. He stood before her with his head down. Armand closed the door and explained. He says his name is Phineas Button. Finn staggered back a step. The room went eerily silent. She froze and stared at the familiar stranger in front of her. He was squalid and disgusting. Questions shot through her mind, but they died on her tongue, unspoken. My father, how, why? She wanted to smile, she wanted to laugh, she wanted to cry, to scream, to run. It can't be, not this, not this wretched thing. Yet the truth was written in the lines of his face. He raised his eyes to look at her and she was horrified. His eyes told her the only reason he'd come was because he thought he might gain something for himself. A meal, a wage, a bed. But not a daughter. She wasn't the reason he was here. She was only his means. His eyes darted around the room, only making contact with hers for the briefest instant before shifting away. His look was that of a man whose pride has been parted from him, whose conscience has long gone mute. She hated him, and he had yet to speak a word. You are not my father. She meant it as a statement, but it came out like a plea. She knew the truth, knew it as surely as she knew her own face in a mirror, but she resisted it. Not him, oh God, not him. She felt the truth pulling at her, dragging her forward, but she fought it, raged against it. The man wrung his cap in his hands and looked toward her, but not at her. Come looking for work, he said meekly, and paused before adding, Ma'am. Armand, get him out of my sight. Finn spat the words from her mouth. Get him off my ship. The man dropped to his knees in front of her. I can work. I got nowhere to go. Finia. When he said her name, his eyes beheld her for a moment. But he couldn't hold them still and they scattered away. Get him out, Finn yelled. The sound of her name on his lips enraged her. Oh, please, not him. He had no right to speak her name. He didn't know her. 
He'd never known her. She wanted him gone. Thoughts spun in her head, questions, accusations, a million things to say. Armand grabbed the man under the arm and tried to pull him to his feet, but he shrugged off the attempt and remained knelt on the floor in front of her, as if she expected him to do so, and he'd done it a hundred times before. I don't want nothing. I got nowhere else. Every word out of his mouth sounded like a lie. Finn was about to drag him out of the room herself when Armand saved her from it and muscled the man through the door without pity. Finn paced the room with her hands on her head, feeling like her skull might explode. She wanted him gone, but if she let him go, she'd never have answers to her questions. She wanted to go to him, to touch him, to strike him, to tear him apart, to embrace him. She didn't know which. She grabbed the edge of the table and flung it across the room, sending maps and papers fluttering to the floor. Easy, lass, said Topper. That man is not my father, she cried. He is not. Topper approached her carefully and tried to put his arms around her. She wasn't about to indulge consoling. She didn't need consolation because she didn't know the man. He was an imposter. She shoved Topper away. Of course he's not, Finn. Any fool can see that. Finn took a deep breath and pushed her hair back from her face. Topper? She struggled to hold back tears. She refused to let herself cry. I, I don't want to see that man. I don't ever want to see him. Topper nodded and left, closing the door behind him. As soon as she was alone, she lost her fight against the crying. The harder she tried to stop, the more stubbornly the tears fell. She pounded her fist into the bulkhead again and again and again, sobbing harder with each strike until her hand went numb in a clutch of bloody knuckle bones. <laughs>